Hello and welcome back to Disruptive Voices. Today's episode on rethinking and celebrating old age will be hosted by myself, Nina Quash, and my colleague Siobhan Morris. Hello, and today we are joined by Dr. Mina Orno, Associate Professor at UCL's School of Pharmacy. Welcome, Mina, and thank you very much for joining us today. To begin, you created a network at UCL called Celebrage to drive innovation and knowledge sharing on aging research between colleagues at UCL, but also involving the public and private sectors, charities and the NHS. So can you tell us how this came about? Thank you very much, Siobhan, Nina, and I would like to thank firstly UCI Grand Challenges for the very kind invitation uh, for this podcast. In regards to your question, yes, there are many negative connotations associated with aging, primarily due to the onset of various clinical ailments, diseases, the effect on general well-being, and the many challenges faced by those in our aging population can cause detrimental effects on society. By celebrating aging, we can replace these perceived notions with the many positives, such as empowering the population towards a healthier and more independent living. Having said, a change in image alone is not enough, as the challenges themselves must be addressed and real innovative solutions must be adopted. And this grand challenge can only be met by inspiring everyone across a range of abilities and aspirations, aided by cross-disciplinary collaboration, and I believe by strengthening the links between science, policy and the public. In this respect, UCL has a very strong cross-disciplinary focus in its research infrastructure, ranging from population health sciences to built environments and architecture. And almost all disciplines, all the research disciplines of UCL have a focus on aging research. With all these thoughts, I attended UCL's Future Leaders Program a few years ago. And in this program, we were invited to work on an individual leadership task. And as part of my leadership task, I developed the idea of a creative, a novel knowledge exchange network focusing on accelerating the impact of aging research at UCL. The Celebration Network was born. The idea was born a few years ago, and we managed to secure some funding for the Celebrate Network activities. Our network aims to drive innovation by delivering cross-disciplinary projects into aging research and related knowledge exchange activities in partnership with, as you said, researchers, innovators, local communities, charities, industrial enterprises, NHS colleagues to catalyze ongoing amazing efforts into improving improving lives of older people and accelerate the real impact of aging research. In Celebration, our core team has expertise in translational healthcare, pharmaceutical engineering, social neuroscience, creative arts, which exemplifies a multidisciplinary approach to well-being in older age. And we believe this will lead to holistic healthcare innovations that are applicable across the socioeconomic spectrum for every individual. And in particular, we would like to successfully further blend UCL's amazing strength in life and engineering sciences to demonstrate excellence in healthcare products and medicine tailored to the need of older people. And we have the ultimate goal to develop and disseminate global standards for industry to facilitate the implementation of more and more solutions for healthy aging. Can I just take a step back to a point you raised at the very beginning about people often having negative perceptions associated to old age? And yet, as a society, we always strive to increase life expectancy and people want to live older. But no one wants to be old. So I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more why this negative perception 
can potentially be harmful and how we can rethink it and actually see it as a positive thing? Interestingly, uh, during every birthday, there's an inevitable thought in our minds reminding us we are getting older. But if you rethink again, having negative perception about aging is quite contradictory to our efforts and willingness as individuals to have more time to enjoy every aspect of life. We are trying to keep healthy. We are trying to keep well. We are trying to follow all the positive, useful interventions to make quality of life better. And every actually healthy age should be seen as the successful outcome of our amazing efforts in trying to, uh, let's say, embed walking gardening, eating well, all these, you know, positive things to, to our lives. And I think believing aging is something to celebrate, will motivate and inspire us for adopting all these healthy lifestyle without too much effort, as we see the aging as a reward at the end, a new stage for strength and opportunities. Of course, you know, we need to reframe the way we think about aging. We should gain a positive understanding. But of course, our job as scientists to aim for empowering individuals for self-management of their health and well-being. If we are all empowered, then we can maintain independence, mobility, ability to complete the daily living tasks, and hence minimize the complex care needs, less use of health and uh, social care services, and reduce the number of hospital visits. And all these efforts then will make it real to actually approach aging with a different mindset and hopefully celebrate aging. You mentioned talking about kind of we and this collective sense that is shared often about aging, but do different cultures understand age and well-being in a different way? I think aging is quite a global term. But if you look and zoom into the aging concept, I think it is definitely influenced by the cultural perception, beliefs, concerns. And we really need to think about how people perceive aging. So I believe there are cultural differences, the way we perceive the notions, different notions of, of aging, because there are expectations from older people. Like this is a stage when people retire, maybe to focus on their individual lives, maybe really trying to get the best for themselves, to look after themselves, to maintain their independence. But actually, they are the people who have the wisdom, who have the inspiration, who have the energy in their cognitive ability because they have this life experience. And we are all aging. Now, I'm aging today. And from your questions, it's inspiring me how I need to think about aging. I have been in this research field for a long time. So I believe that the cultural differences should be definitely factored in when we are designing research, when we are trying to bring solutions, when we are designing products, when we are making policy changes, because the needs of older people may be perceived differently. One culture may believe that there is always a disease associated with aging and they may put their efforts into a certain industry, while the other culture may expect more from aging population to look into different aspects. But the, the more important thing, I think we need to bring a global focus on aging and work on how we can actually glue, how we can really gel the cultural differences in terms of aging and how we can empower the individuals to share their wisdom with the society in global context.
So if we think about age along a sort of time spectrum, you have worked in your career with people of different ages, starting with children and now with older people. From your experience and observations, how would you say the sense of identity evolves as we go through different life stages? Yes, I have the unique and excellent opportunity to focus on pediatrics, the medicine development for children at the early career stages. And then later on, I have more focus on the medicine design and development for older patients. And during my research studies, I have observed that there are beliefs about younger and older, and there are some scientific facts about aging that we have to focus on. For instance, if we look from life and medical disciplines lens, the immaturity of the body system in the youngest and the likely impairment, decline of the function of the, the body and the organs in the oldest old are the factors that scientists need to consider. So there's an evolution from a biological side. There's an evolution in terms of the cognitive and the mindset uh, grow. But there is one fact that there is a change as we age. So inevitably our identity change due to various factors. But actually aging helps us to discover the best version of ourselves as individuals. And the science discovers more every day and offers more solutions, creates more interventions for improving well-being. So I think that every individual's identity brings a positivity. Uh, every age brings a wisdom and inspiration to the society. And we understand the invaluable impact of aging, irreplaceable effect of aging and uh, the importance of the identity of uh, older people. So what can we do to better understand the complexities and diversities of the geriatric population as you were talking about seeing them as individuals instead of seeing them as a whole, as a homogenous group? How can we start to address their personalised needs and care? I think every individual accumulates something different in their personal history. So every individual has a different biology, different lifestyle, different expectations from their older age, and it actually pronounced the effect of being individual at older age. If we first look at from the scientific point of view, the factors that our body is exposed uh, are very different. We live in different countries, we live in different cultures, we have a healthy lifestyle at certain, you know, a period of our lives. It may change due to, you know, unfortunate reason as the life is dynamic. It's never straightforward. And I think every individual has their own history in terms of the biological development and unfortunately sometimes the decline of the function of the body. So it really makes ourselves as individuals for healthcare professionals in terms of our needs. When it comes to a certain disease, for instance, we may be diagnosed by the same name of the disease, but we may be at a different stage of that disease. We may suffer from an acute condition. We may unfortunately suffer from a chronic condition. And if you take the example of a chronic condition, we know that the body may respond differently. And while they are responding to their treatments differently, their needs are also changing. For instance, if an individual is diagnosed with a disease at the age of, let's say, 60, they may not have a problem in terms of taking their medicine at the point of administration. Literally, if you talk about capsule formulation and they need to take it you know, for their medical treatment, they may not be facing with a difficulty uh, to swallow it. 
it's just a you know simple example it sounds but unfortunately if their chronic condition requires treatment later on and when they reach the age of 70 75 then that size of that tablet may really make their life very difficult to take that medicine every day as they may face with some short coordination problems some dysphagia some swallowing difficulties and if you consider that individual needs to take their medicine every day for years and that morning that they need to take their medicine may become a real challenge for them really affecting every day of their lives so we really need to tailor our thinking about the changes in personalized medicine for instance if we think about an individual they are living you know setting it may change in time they may start living in a two floor house but later on they may need to move somewhere else they may need to change the geographical location they may need to change the environment they are living so our job i think to really reading about the changing needs of every individual in terms of their healthcare needs so when it comes to the biology definitely the body is changing even you know with simple administration related factors but also if you look more broadly their needs may change because of the condition that they are living they may be living with a family then they may be living on their own in, at a later stage so i think the personalization is a term that we use on our daily lives we would like to personalize every item that we purchase because it gives us that belonging you know feeling if we purchase a house let's say if you even buy a bag we would like to put our initials on it because then we own this is our bag but when it comes to actually really important needs in life like the healthcare and living needs we, we shouldn't forget about the interest and it's a real need that requires actually a different thinking and we really need to consider the changing needs of people especially when they are aging because it is not thing constant it's quite dynamic and we really need to phrase the word personalization when it comes to healthcare and living needs of older population as this changes quite fast and the needs are quite prompt so we really truly address these needs we should recognize and i think there's a power of co-creation of the solutions with older people this will really help us to bring these solutions immediately to people's life for a real impact I was going to mention co-creation actually because as a researcher it, it makes sense to talk to the people whose lives you're actually affecting and see them as active participants of coming up with what kind of research you're going to be undertaking and have them help you produce the knowledge as well because they're the people with the experience who can really inform your research. And would you mind telling us a little bit about your recent project in partnership with Age UK where you talked to old Londoners about their experience of resilience during the COVID-19 pandemic? I believe the power of bringing people's and users perception needs into the conversation at a very early stage and when I say early stage it can be as early as designing for instance a research study and it can be also at a later stage when a, a product is under development and before implementation of that idea into our lives I believe especially older people's opinion with their wisdom with their experience will be invaluable and in our study when we work with HUK London we would like to have a 
creative knowledge exchange platform because we generally as researchers unintentionally bring the end user into our studies at the dissemination stage when we would like to share the findings with them because we would like to actually share the positivity, the positive outcome from our research. But actually, if we bring the public into our research at a very early stage, as I said, then we can really avoid reinventing the wheel sometimes or really empowering that idea by the real solutions which will have impact in people's lives. So in our study, we would like to uh, speak with older Londoners to understand actually how we can recover and how we can impact on people's life in the positive direction to recover from pandemic. Because we noticed that during the first lockdowns, older individuals living at their own homes created their own solutions. And we would like to understand what were the issues they faced and what the interim solutions they brought into their lives to continue and let them to actually maintain the quality of their lives. So in that respect, we would like to work with the local networks of London uh, who are the representatives of the older population and we would like to discuss on many aspects ranging from housing to pension to finance to uh, healthcare needs and hear from them were the solutions that they received and what were the interim solutions that they created as individuals and this has been a really effective knowledge exchange activity to understand the needs of older population and finally I would like to that we would like to work with older Londoners because it has been an amazing opportunity to understand uh, the diverse needs of the aging population as there's a heterogeneous need, preferences and uh, conditions that older people are living in London. Can you give some examples of insights and solutions that you have learned from this project? I think the first discussion was around the need for digital devices and digital solutions as we need to continue our communication via the online devices, online resources. And it has been amazing to hear about uh, HUK London's other charities' efforts in uh, helping older people and letting them to go through the first lockdown. And we heard that uh, there were interim solutions again to understand if a known online digital platform whether it works for them to maintain connection with the outside world. And we noticed that actually the solutions, we named them solution, uh, maybe for the population who are uh, currently working in their professional roles, are more familiar or had more opportunity to access these platforms. However, for older individuals, these solutions weren't accessible. So I believe that things need to be affordable, accessible, appropriate, and acceptable by the end users. And when it comes to the digital world, actually, it is really amazing to see how much they implement these changes into their lives, how promptly they are open to these ideas. But we should not forget about the fact that there's a digital divide. And there is less access, not only by aging population, but certain populations have, unfortunately, have less access to these solutions. And this is critical to maintain the real connection with the world. And in that respect, we noticed that they identified, you know, some residential facilities identified their own solutions to bring these digital solutions into older people's lives for responding to the needs, either connecting with their families or maybe making, you know, grocery shopping or speaking, you know, with the friends for their social and well-being. So I think there has been some solutions, but this study showed us that there is a heterogeneous need of older people in many platforms, and we really need to work with them, hear from them, and co-create these solutions together. 
I suppose that links very nicely with what you were talking about earlier in terms of policy responses and policy change regarding both how ageing is seen, but also policy implementation to, as you say, personalise and create tailored responses. So a recent report by the UK government's House of Lords Science and Technology Select Committee found that there had been minimal progress towards achieving the goal of the Ageing Society Grand Challenge uh, in the UK and found that a lot has to be done to stay on track to ensure that people can enjoy at least five extra healthy, independent years of life by 2035, whilst also narrowing the gap between the experience of the richest and poorest. So as you were just talking about, what, in your opinion, what policy and culture changes need to happen in the next five years to achieve this? Firstly, I think there is definitely importance and uh, they are presenting us the facts, you know, the conditions, uh, the needs, the statistics, because it really raises the awareness, not only for scientists, but also for all the investors, all the key stakeholders, clinicians, charities and public, as well as policymakers. I think this is really powerful to have access to this documentation and understand what are the needs, what is the unmet need, uh, what are the gaps and what are the solutions that we can bring into lives promptly. So from scientific point of view, I think what we need is a translation of the ideas. At UCL, we are very fortunate to work with UCL Translational Research Office, and we have this strong collaboration and communication to understand the successful and powerful ways of bringing all these scientific creations, ideas into life by understanding what investment is needed, what additional stages are required to collect further data, to get a marketing authorization, a license or an investor, you know, to think about that solution. So I think uh, the translational aspect should be at the center of every scientist's daily activities because it's amazing to have our publications, you know, to inspire the academic community, the scientific community and share this knowledge. But I believe that we really need to link the stages of the science to make sure that we are going towards to an endpoint that we create more and more, let's say, devices, products, clinical solutions, lifestyle interactions interventions which are really bringing true positive impact into uh, aging population's life. From industrial point of view, I assume the industrial partners, collaborators would like to see more incentives because there is definitely clear willingness to work more and more on the products for uh, aging population. But of course, from a business point of view, they really need to see some incentives to actually encourage them to invest more time, more energy, to think about how they can accelerate the impact of their work, their pipelines, to focus on the real needs of older people. And it doesn't sometimes need to be a separate effort, I believe. We just need to think about what additional features a product can have to make it really useful and acceptable for older people. And I think from the cultural point of view, the interaction between generations should be empowered because I believe that the generations have many things to learn from each other and this interdisciplinary thinking in science is I think really helping us to approach to different generations because a certain discipline's target group can be younger people, a certain group may work with adolescents or younger adults or oldest old and I believe that if these disciplines start to have this meaningful 
little conversations between them to let their scientific audience to talk with each other for the ultimate goal of improving the lives of the society, that cultural meaningful conversations really lead us to avoid reinventing the wheel, of course, but really bringing new insights and innovative solutions for better outcomes in our research outputs and, of course, real life solutions for older individuals. And from individual point of view, I really appreciate all the efforts ongoing, ranging from knowledge exchange networks to research centers, to charities, to clinicians, policymakers, public's effort to raise the awareness about the special needs of older population and also the power of uh, aging population to share their wisdom, their intelligence, their inspiration uh, with us. How do you think attitudes towards aging have changed as a result or even during the COVID-19 pandemic? You mentioned the final point at the end there around generations working together and I think it's been an interesting time in some sense of celebrating older age. If we think about, for example, in the UK, Captain Sir Tom Moore, um, we've seen this kind of inspirational figure and a celebration of his life and how old he was in some ways was what was being celebrated and the tremendous work that he was still doing. But then, of course, there's also been that debate running throughout around this sense that actually we shouldn't be locking down to protect a small kind of vulnerable section of the population and some really vicious public debates around pitting the young versus the old. So I just wondered how you thought the pandemic had changed attitudes towards ageing. I think the pandemic has brought our focus on ageing population more and more due to the fact that the pandemic is very health-related which is requiring more and more healthcare solutions, not only about protecting the vulnerable populations, but also maintaining the quality of life. And at the stage of pandemic, I think it was very challenging times because everything was very unexpected. We were all at the unprepared stage and we were always aware of the healthcare needs of uh, vulnerable populations. But actually, I think it required us to give very prompt decisions and bring very effective solutions into everyone's life. But as I said, they were on the spotlight, I think, because the, the issue was health-related and the vulnerability of the oldest old due to the aging body and the organ system, of course, highlighted the healthcare needs of older people. And it wasn't only the pharmaceutical solutions, but also their you know, housing needs, their financial needs, their healthcare needs. They were all, I think, brought to spotlight due to the pronounced need of older population at the age of pandemic. So I think from that point of view, that that we shouldn't see that the needs are more from the older population. I think there are certain fields in life that certain populations need more support. If it comes to healthcare, it's quite inevitable that as we are aging, we need more access to healthcare services. But uh, if you look into the younger population, of course, they need more access to the services provided by the education sector. So I think the pandemic was around, you know, a very unfortunate, you know, uh, condition. And uh, this was the reason that we first as a society think about the increasing needs of older people. But on the other side, actually, it showed us how powerful 
aging population is in terms of supporting, really supporting the society. And we have witnessed observing the amazing efforts of heroes, amazing efforts of unforgettable figures who supported the society. And I think this can be only possible with the lived experience, with that wisdom, with that positivity, with that, uh, you know, efforts without any expectation. Because I think as we age, we do things for the society without an expectation. And this is very rewarding for them to contribute to the benefits of the public. And I believe that we have seen really amazing examples, evidence that the aging society can really empower the public in terms of their well-being, in terms of their immediate needs, in terms of the positivity, the preferences, the needs, and how they perceive from their side, how they spot the real needs, and how they can be in real action to bring you know, a powerful solution into people's lives. So I think uh, aging population is one of our assets and we really need to listen what they are saying. Uh, we need to address what they really need and we really need to bring prompt solutions for improving the quality of life and independence of aging population. And in return, I think we have the amazing opportunity to learn from them every day. Thank you so much, Mine, for sharing your thoughts. It was Really, really interesting. I'm afraid we have to wrap up here, but thank you so much for joining us and thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you uh, for this opportunity. Thank you, Mina. Thank you. This episode of Disruptive Voices was presented by Nina Quash and Siobhan Morris and produced by the UCL Grand Challenges team. Our guest was Dr. Mini Olu and the music is by David Seste. For more episodes, Visit UCL Minds Podcasts or follow us on Twitter at UCL Grand Challenges.